Great seeing you guys. How are we doing? Yeah. Some of you I got to hang out with last night, man. Our junior girls really know how to fold large pair of male underwear. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> the rest of you are like, what in the world is he talking about? Last night we had a group of us as a part of Redemption Loves. If Redemption Loves ever comes up, you want to be in on it because these are fun service projects. We get to go, we get to hang out. And sometimes you get to fold underwear together, and that's what we did last night for a good cause. So um, I'm just going to let that hang a little bit. Um, okay, so we got Yoglo coming up. Are you guys coming to Yoglo? Yeah. I'm super excited. I'm excited to see you guys go nuts, but I'm also excited to meet your friends. And so obviously there's a few events throughout the year that we're really pushing you guys to invite friends, to introduce them to the church. And I don't know if you've been paying attention in the last few uh, sermons, but we've been talking about agape love. We've been talking about go low. And this is kind of like us reflecting who Jesus is to others. Like we've been loved by God with this perfect agape love. And we now, as the children of God, get to share that with others. And one of the reasons why I'm excited for your friends to come, and maybe there's some here uh, that are new tonight, is we're, I'm excited for them to get introduced to a community of people that are trying to grow in this agape love and this idea of loving our neighbor. Now, our conversation tonight, we pick up in John 14, and I really think this is going to push on our idea of what love is. Our culture has kind of got to define what love is, and we've been talking about last week that love is dying for an enemy. Agape love is the kind of love that isn't about loving those that love me, but it's about loving those that even might want to curse me, but loving those that are an enemy. So I'm excited tonight to get into that. Uh, before I do, we have, um, let's see, I'm missing an announcement. We got Yoglo. Oh, reading assignment. Reading assignment. Do you have my slide up there? For our groups, uh, we, when you guys start the groups, I don't know if you guys paid attention to this on Sunday. How many of you come pretty regularly on a Sunday? All right, so I don't know if you guys realize this, but our reading assignment last week was 1 John 4, 7 through 20. Like, it's a very, it's not like Romans 12. It's the whole chapter. It's a very specific piece of scripture. It's only like a handful of verses together. And Sunday, Tim preached on 1 John 4, 7 through 20. Did anyone recognize that? Like, I think if you're not recognizing that, that's with me. When those things happen, I lean in. Like, God is really trying to say something. And then when Tim also quoted Romans 12, I was like, I'm leaning in further. Like, what is God doing right now? And then he went to Romans 5 and a small piece of section, and it was the very thing that we're up on our slides on Wednesday. And I went, the Lord for sure is trying to teach us something. Every piece of scripture that we've been reading in order on Sunday is preached by Timon. And so I hope that happens again this Sunday, because guess what? We're talking about um, ec the exclusivity of Jesus. And this is just what's coming up next in John. John 14, this is what it happens. And on Sunday, it just so happens, guess what the topic is? The exclusivity of Jesus. And so God is doing something. I believe he's speaking. And so I hope that we have ears to hear um, this evening. All right. Our next assignment, this is one of my favorite, most hopeful, I get giddy excited um, when I read Revelation 21 and 22. Now, they're, 
This is like a ton of imagery. So if you start thinking of this literally, like trying to picture this happen, it's going to be very confusing. But these are the last two chapters of the entire Bible. And the Bible is unique and that it claims to be the true story of the world. It's not a book of rules. It's a story. And in Revelation 21 and 22, it tells us how, where the story is headed. And it gives this beautiful picture of when Jesus returns and him restoring all things. And so it's going to be in our text tonight, but I want us to just like, I hope you guys are still doing this. I know I've talked to a few of you that have their Bibles underlined and circled. And even if you're not a Christian and you're just exploring Christianity, it's an amazing thing instead of just opening up your Bible and going, what page do I start on? And what the heck is going on when I open this up and I read? The people of Marath anxiously waited for, like, it's, it's strange. So when we read together, we can ask questions together, okay? And so when you read Revelations 21, 22, circle it, underline, highlight it, shoot a message to a friend, ask your leader, what in the world does this mean? And then probably two minutes later, he'll text me and say, what in the world does this mean? And then I'll text someone above me. But that's how we read the Bible. So stick with it, keep reading, and uh, asking questions. All right, John 14. I've got a few statements I want to make before, and I just want to let it like, I'm just going to like let it, let it pause and let you think about this. Do you agree or do you disagree with this statement? Okay, You don't have to answer out loud. i got to turn it on. Do you agree or do you disagree? Everyone is religious. Now let me, let me define religion. Religion is a system of beliefs, okay? It's a group of beliefs that we ascribe to, and those beliefs control or influence my behavior and how I live my life. And those beliefs come with a set of values or ethics that I live by. With that definition, agree or disagree. Now, I have good friends that are atheists, okay? And I would look at them and I would say, your religion... Okay? Your religion is a set of beliefs. There is no God is a belief, correct? There is no God. And because there is no God, my life now on earth is to live for the present. And so there's a set of values of what does it mean to live for the present? Some, some atheists might say, like, it's just the goal is to get as many toys as you can and have as much fun experiences until you go to nothing. You came from nothing. You go to nothing. And there's no value in your life because we've, there is nothing beyond us. That is a religion, even though there's not a faith in a higher power. Everyone is religious. Everyone has faith. Think about it. You say, like, no, my friend doesn't have faith. Everyone has faith. Agree or disagree? Agree? Disagree. So, when we die, something is going to happen, correct? First of all, are we all going to agree? That's one of my statements is, we're all going to die. And when we die, we're going to be faced with reality. People say you can't prove any religion. It's all by faith, okay? And I would agree. The Bible and Christianity is a religion of faith, just like every other religion, 
It's, it's a set of beliefs based on reasonable evidence, but we cannot prove it until we die. And at the moment we die, we get to, we get to know, is there a God or not, is there not a God? The atheist gets to know if there is a God or if there isn't a God, right? Everyone has faith, which means we believe in something that we can't prove without a shadow of a doubt. Everyone dies. I think we all agree on that. Agree or disagree? Well, Jesus said that if you believe in him, no, I'm just kidding. We learned that already. Everyone will face reality at death. Let me tell you about this trip to Africa I took. There is a famous Hindu proverb. Okay, this goes back thousands of years before Jesus. Okay, and this Hindu proverb goes something like this. There are these men that are blindfolded, and they are all feeling an elephant. And they're trying to figure out what truth is. And they, uh, one of them is, is uh, feeling the ears and says, it's like, um, it's like a palm tree branch. It's kind of like a palm tree branch, kind of like a, a piece of leather. And the other one is holding the leg blindfolded and says, no, it's like, a, it's like a tree. Like, I can't even move this thing, and it's round. And the other one is holding the side, the ribs, and is like, a tree? A palm tree? No, this thing is like a wall. Like, I can't even move it. This is just solid. And the other one is playing with the tail and is like, what are you guys talking about? This is nothing like a wall or a tree. This is like a, a jump rope. Now, I'm not sure the um, Hindu uh, actually knew what a jump rope was, but some sort of rope, right? And the Hindu proverb, which I don't even disagree with, is talking about wisdom and saying, if you all have a certain perspective, if you listen to each other, you can kind of figure out the solution and the reality of what's really going on. So, for instance, if there's some conflict in your life and I pull everybody in and everyone gives a different perspective of what's going on, and they have a little piece of the puzzle, and then you go like, oh, I can kind of, I can kind of tell what, what is happening in this thing. Do you guys know what I'm saying? That's like wisdom. That's what a proverb is. But something's happened in our country, and you probably didn't even know it. This guy happened. Now, this is a poet. His name is John Godfrey Sachs. Handsome devil. Sideburns. Some of you guys, when you start growing facial hair, might want to think about that style. It's Bringing it back. You guys like to bring back old things, right? That's Gen Z. Austin? No? He says no. All right, American poet. Look at, he's not that long ago. Eight, I mean, 1816 is like, feels like a long ways away from you guys. But in reality of history, when we're talking about thousands of years before Jesus, this guy is relatively like recent, okay? And he took that proverb, the Hindu proverb, and he made it into a poem that has become wildly popular and actually shapes a lot of our culture and their ideas about religion today. This guy shapes things that you think today and your culture thinks today, or our, our culture thinks today. So he took the blind man and the elephant and he wrote the poem, the same thing I just told you, except he said, this is what all world religions are like. They're all feeling God. 
but none of them can actually see. They're all acting in faith. And so the Muslim is over here, and he says, God is like this. And the Christian is over here, and he says, God is like this. And the Hindu is over here playing jump rope and says, God is like this. And everybody, if they would just listen to each other, will actually realize they're touching the same elephant and they're describing the same God. It's just they have a little piece of it. Okay? Does that sound like a familiar thing that you hear in our culture today? Like maybe you've heard it this way, like all roads lead to God. There's many different ways to God. Or people might say, Gabe, that's true for you. That's not my truth. That's not true for me. Is this idea of like, we're all correct. We just have a piece of the puzzle. Maybe that doesn't sound familiar. But I want to challenge that tonight. And I think Jesus challenges that. Is there a problem with that statement? We go, well, the Bible says differently. But I want to get, I want to, who in that, um, who in that poem has their blindfold off? Who in the poem has the blindfold off? Everyone has blindfold, everyone's feeling, except who? Who is it? Yeah, the poet. What did you guys say, the elephant? I couldn't hear you. I'm like, yeah, Exactly. You're like, wait, the poem was written by an elephant? Hold on a sec. How does this work? That's true. Who are the two people in the parable that don't have a blindfold? One, the elephant. All right. The second is the poet. The poet's religion, John Godfrey Sachs, his religion, his set of beliefs is, I can see clearly... Who can see the elephant? Who can see God for what it really is? The poet. And the poet is telling all the people that are blindfolded, you guys, you guys don't get it. You're all looking at the same thing. So even though that seems like a clever way of talking about religion, it assumes that John Godfrey Sachs is the one that actually can see what God is really like and can tell everybody else what God is like. So believing in that statement is believing in a prophet who wrote a poem in America in 1872. Can he see reality? Can anyone see what's beyond the grave? Can we really? Until we get there, can we see it? Has anyone really seen God and can really tell you what reality is and what truth is, what the elephant looks like? Our faith as Christians, whether you're a Christian and and you believe this, I want to equip you. But if you're not a Christian and you're here visiting, we're so excited that you're here. And this is a great night to understand what the Christian faith is. Our faith is not based on a John Godfrey Sachs who says that he knows reality, but our faith is that nobody has seen the Father, which is God. But a man named Jesus says, only I who was sent from God have seen him. So 
that other faith and religion is putting their faith, their belief, in John Godfrey Sachs and his version of religion. Our version is based on Jesus who said, I have seen the Father and I am here to tell you what he is like. John the poet wrote a poem. John the disciple wrote a gospel. It's this story. John the poet says, no one has seen God, but John the poet sees it clearly, even though he's never seen God. John the disciple, we're going to read his gospel tonight, and he says, Jesus has seen God, and Jesus is the only one that sees clearly. Okay, let's jump into the story. So far in, Jesus's, in John's gospel, or Jesus' story, Jesus has been talking about eternal life. He's been healing people. He's talking about belief in me. I am the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. I've come to save you from your sin. I've come to reconcile you to, uh, to God. We have an issue called sin. We can't be with God with this problem. Jesus has come to save us from our sins so that we can know God and have life in him. And we see him constantly healing, constantly loving, constantly teaching. And what's the response of everybody? They see a miracle and they go, he is the son of God. I'm going to follow him with my life. That's not the story, is it? They see a miracle and some of them go, oh my gosh. This guy is possessed by a demon. This guy is the son of a devil. This guy is a false teacher. And pretty soon the conversation starts to go, everyone is following this guy who does these miracles. He needs to die. And so far, John, or, um, Jesus is giving this message of hope. And at, right about this time in the story, Jesus starts talking about death. And he says, I'm ready to die. My hour has come. This is why I've come. I'm ready to die. And, it, and event, in John, at the end of John 13, he tells his disciples, I'm going to leave and you can't go with me. Now, one of my favorite disciples, I don't know if you're supposed to have a favorite disciple, is Thomas, and you're going to see why, because I think Thomas keeps it real, right? So he tells his disciples, I'm going to leave, and here's, let's pick up the story. This is John 14. Jesus says, as they're obviously troubled with the news that Jesus is leaving, he says, don't let your hearts, uh, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Jesus is saying, like, I'm not peacing out on you guys. I'm going to be with God the Father. And I'm telling you, there is more than enough room for you to go where I'm going. That's good news for us. When everything is ready, he's going to prepare a place. He says, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. When you read Revelation 21 and 22, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, this moment at the end of the story, and God declares, Jesus declares, the dwelling place of God is with man. It's this, you will always be with me where I am. The story of the gospel is about God wanting to be with you in your life, in your everyday, ordinary life. He wants that. That is what Jesus wants, and it's what he's promising. In John 14, this is good news for us. And then he says, 
and you know the way to where I am going. Now, what did I say about Thomas? He likes to what? He likes to keep it real. So Thomas is like, all right, I'm ready for Jesus to like take over the world, and this is exciting. He's doing miracles. We followed a teacher who has superpowers. This is amazing. And then he goes, hey, guys, I'm leaving, and you can't come with me. And he is, Thomas is like, what are you talking about? And he says, don't worry. I'm going. I'm going to prepare a place for you. What in the world are you talking about? And Jesus says, you know the way, Thomas. Here's Thomas's response. No, we don't. No, we don't. We have no idea where you're going. Like, where is this coming from, Jesus? Where's the kingdom? Why aren't you taking over the world? Now you're leaving and you tell me I know where you're going and I know the way to get there? Jesus says, no, we don't. I mean, uh, Thomas says, no, we don't. We have no idea what you're talking about, where you're going, and how we can get there. We're going to take Thomas's two questions. Where is Jesus? I think it's a great question. Where is he? He was here. He died. He rose again. He went away. Where is he? And then this. What is the way to get there? Now, I added a couple of questions. Who's invited to where he goes? I think is an important question. And like, if I'm going to go somewhere, I need to know the directions. I need to know who's on the invite list. And then I don't want to show up wearing the wrong clothes. You know what I'm saying? You guys ever done that? Like, you got to text your friends and be like, what are you wearing? Like, I want to know where we go to be with God what do I need to be wearing so I don't get embarrassed? That might seem like an insignificant question. That might be the best question up on that list, in my opinion. Where is Jesus? Philippians 2 says that when he rose from the dead, that he ascended into heaven and he is reigning in a place we call the kingdom of God. There's a realm that we cannot see called the kingdom of God. And in this kingdom of God, God rules perfectly, okay? And it, and it says that Jesus is preparing a place for you. We lost a friend and a sister this year, Lauren Hutchins. She went to be with Jesus in this place. How do we know that? The scriptures tell us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord when you're in Christ. It's not a dying, but it's a passing from one life to another. And she's in the kingdom of God with Jesus, who is with the Father, and they are preparing a place. And when the time comes, they're coming back. Lauren with Jesus, 1 Thessalonians says. How do I get to this place? Now, John Godfrey Sachs would say, you're all going to get there. It's all the same God, okay? And to be honest, if you love your neighbor and you love your friends, there's something inside of you that should go, yeah, I really want that to be true. Do you know what I'm saying? Like God doesn't desire that anyone should perish and God wants to be intimately involved in all of your lives, in all of your neighbor's lives. And so we should want, please tell me it's true, that my friends and my neighbors can be reconciled to God. But that's not what Jesus said. 
Jesus said this when he answers Thomas, when Thomas says, I have no idea how to get where you're going. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody can come to the Father except through me. John Godfrey Sachs, never seen God before, wrote a really cool poem. It's a nice idea. Jesus who saw God, who was with God, who is God from the beginning, is revealing to us what reality is. And he says, it's not always everybody's way, everybody's religion gets to come. He says, I am the door into this kingdom. Why do I believe with all my heart that Lauren Hutchins is with Jesus right now as we're sitting here? Because she was in Christ by faith in Christ. And Jesus says, this is the way to where I'm going. Now, the reason why I put this question up is because in this culture, and I kind of like talked about this with a few of you before I came up here tonight, when you say there's only one way, it's like, who are these arrogant Christians that think they have the way? Nobody can say it with that certainty. I want you to know this idea of Jesus being exclusive that people say is unloving. Just let everybody through the door. I want you to know this. Jesus does let everyone through the door who wants him. Who's invited? Everybody. Healthy people don't need a doctor, Jesus said. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. And guess what the Bible says about human beings? Everybody has sin. Jesus is saying, I am coming to call all people who've been infected with sin to come and be with my Father. Through me, I will take you, we call it behind the curtain, right? That was one of our messages. If you're a sinner, you're invited. Now, what should I wear? Seems like a silly question. There's a dress code, and that seems like a silly way of saying this, but let me, I want you to think of it like this. The requirement to enter into the kingdom of God, when you read Revelation 21 and 22, it says no evil will ever enter this place. Every bit of tear, every bit of sadness will come untrue, will be wiped away. There will be no need for crying or pain or hurt or sadness anymore. No sin enters the door. All brokenness gets healed. It is all love. It is all harmony. You can't bring your sin with you. Do you understand? It doesn't belong. If I'm going to go do a chapel for Perry High School at FCA, and I come in walking in with and accidentally wear my Hamilton Huskies T-shirt... They're like, you don't belong here. That ain't cool. If you show up in the kingdom of God in your sin, you don't belong. There's none of that here. Do you guys understand? So there's two things that need to play, take place. I need to take off those clothes 
my rebellion against God, the way I've hurt people, the way I've slandered and talked bad about people, the way I've made decisions like I'm going to run my life, I'm not going to let God run my life, all of that has caused pain and hurt within me, pain and hurt in others. And it's offensive to God, and it doesn't belong in heaven. i got to take that off. And I need new clothes. I need someone to clothe me with perfection. Because where I'm going is perfect. How do I do that? How do I take off and put on? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. For God made Christ, who never sinned. What's his clothes? Perfection. He's wearing that perfection. He was without sin from the beginning. But God made Christ, who never sinned, to be an offering for sin. I'm going to tell you what that means. So that we could be made right with God through Christ. Another translation says, so that we can wear his clothes. Now here's the transaction or the, or the visual that I want. Okay, I'm going to use Jace. I don't want to embarrass you, Jace. Remember, everybody in this room has sinned. Okay, Some of them more than others. I don't know if that's true, actually. All right, so Jace, he's got his filthy rags on. He's treated his sister poorly. He's rebelled against God. He's like one of you, okay? Jesus takes the filthy rags, the sin, and he puts it on himself. Here's the problem. The wages of sin are death. The punishment for that rebellion against God is death. Who's wearing it? Jesus. Jesus says, Jace, I want you to be with my father so much. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take it to the cross, and I'm going to die that death so that you don't have to. The stuff that you deserve, I'm going to do it for you. And Jace, I got a gift for you. Here's my clothes. It's called righteousness. When you get before my father, I'm going to be your advocate, and I'm going to say, Father, he's wearing my clothes. He's in my righteousness. Jace is my child. And Jesus goes to death for you. That is why Jesus Christ is the answer to sin. And some people say it's so exclusive. And I just want to give you like an illustration. Does anyone know Pastor, um, Pastor Olam here, Jeremy? Okay. So his boys have a disease called cystic fibrosis. Anyone familiar with cystic fibrosis? Okay. So when I was growing up, if you had CF, you know, you lived um, like into your early 20s, okay? And medicine has gotten better and better, and you can live longer. So when they got the diagnosis that their boys have CF, it's a, it's a shorter life, okay? CF will kill you. Now, this year, I don't know if you know this, this is great news for our church, it's great news for the Olams. For the first time in history, they have a medicine that will cure you of cystic fibrosis. For Asher and Beck Olam, this is the answer to the disease that was going to kill them. It's amazing news. Now imagine if the doctor said this, this, all of you that have CF, I have a cure for your disease, and this will give you life. 
And guess what? All of you can have it freely. I'm not charging any of you. This is it for you. You can have it. And you will be saved. And you go, it's a little narrow, isn't it? Like, why that pill? Why can't I take these vitamins over here? You're so controlling. Why are you making me take your pill? Like, that's the only way. I'll take any pill. All pills will cure me of cystic fibrosis. And in that scenario, you go, Brian, that is the, that's the worst illustration you've ever made. That's so stupid. That makes no sense. Your disease is the same as my disease, and it will kill us. It is sin. It's rebellion against God. And God has provided the cure. And he has said, everybody can have this. It is for all of you, and it is free. I am not charging you. I'm not asking you to clean up your life. I'm asking you to take the pill. That's exclusive because there's one cure for the one problem we all have. Where's Jesus? In paradise with the Father, preparing a place. Revelation 21, 22, he's coming back. How do we get there? Through faith in Christ and receiving, receiving Christ's gift. Saying like, yes, I want the blood of Christ. I want to exchange these sin and I want you to pay for that on the cross and I want your righteousness. It's by faith. And who's invited? All nations, all tribes, all tongues, all races, all people, rich, poor, sick, healthy. Everyone is invited. And what do we need to wear? We need to wear perfection. And unless you've lived perfect, you need an exchange. Jesus is offering that for you. If you're not a Christian here, I'm going to challenge you. Who or what have you put your faith in? If everyone has faith in something, if you don't believe this, what do you believe in? And who is your savior? In every other religion except Christianity, listen to this, every other religion except Christianity, you are the savior. You've been good enough. How do you get reincarnated and in, um, in Hindu, Hinduism, how do you do it? Do you guys know? You live a better life. You have to live a better life. It's up to you. In Islam, how do you get to paradise? Right? There's five pillars of Islam. It's how well did you stick to the prayers? How well did you fight for this? How well you, you did it. All other religions are based on you being good enough. Jesus says, there is only one good, and it's me. And I'm inviting all of y'all to be with me forever. And I'm going to do what you can't do for yourself. Christian, if this is true, what Jesus said, there is one way. Who needs to hear this? If, if John Saxon, Godfrey Saxon, whatever, if his deal is right, just chill. Everyone's going to get there. Everyone's going to get there. Chill. If Jesus is right, your friends need Jesus. 
And how unagape, how unloving is it to have the answer to cystic fibrosis and not to tell Asher and Beck that you have it? That's like the most messed up thing I can imagine. And if you believe you have the answer to sin, you've experienced it, to not share it with others is messed up. It's messed up. Now, I know there's a lot of questions that come out of that. Like, how do I share the gospel? How do I introduce my friends to Jesus? Here's, here's what I would say. It's really easy to invite them into this discussion. Secondly, maybe start with questions and start asking about their faith and where they're at. Maybe that leads to a discussion where you can talk about your faith and they'll take an interest in yours and you get to share Jesus. What do you believe happens after you die? What do you think happens? Do you think there is a God? Why do you think that? Who do you think God is? What do you think about Jesus? Have you heard this story? Do you know what Jesus said? Questions, dialogue, discussion. You don't have to prove anything to them. Start the conversation. And let's see where God takes it. Amen? All right. Let's pray. God, if anyone in here does not know you, and you have brought them here tonight for this very reason, to share good news with them, Lord, so that they can have reconciliation with you. They can have you a part of their life, and they can have eternal life after death. God, I pray for the boldness for them to just ask questions, to ask somebody tonight. God, for those of us that know you, that believe this, that have put our faith in Jesus, I pray you would give a burden on our heart to share this with others, and don't let us be comfortable. This truth should rattle us, and it's good news, but it's good news we got to share with others. So I pray that your spirit would empower us and, and make us bold to love our neighbor with agape love and to start the discussion with our friends that we love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.